So uh, this afternoon we are going to talk about uh, the distributed hybrid electric propulsion and I'm very glad to introduce you my two guests, um, Pascal Doriac, can you present yourself? You are Hello, uh, I am Pascal, uh, VP uh, RET programs for Safran Helicopter Engines. Great. And uh, Eric Dalbiez. Hi, Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm the CEO of Safran Power Units. So. Great. So, um, Pascal, uh, you want to stay here with us? Okay. I call you back. <laughs> So yes, we, we are staying here. So um, at the beginning, um, can you describe um, the, the hybrid uh, distributed uh, propulsion, please? Yes, first of all, I would like to give some definition. We speak about hybrid distributed propulsion, and we sometimes uh, uh, merge two notions which are different. First of all, the source of energy, which can be hybrid in the sense that we can have thermal source electrical source, both of them. So this is the hybrid source production, I would say. And the distributed propulsion is something that we, we, we have in mind thanks to electricity, which is a media for transporting the energy from the source up to the propeller, whatever the amount of propeller which is installed on the aircraft. Uh, thanks to this uh, distributed propulsion, which is now electrical, uh, we can uh, uh, fancy some configuration of architectures of, of aircrafts which are definitely different from the one we had with limited uh, amount of propeller due to mechanical transmission. Okay, so this is a great news for, for aircraft architectures to propose electric distribution. Yes, new architecture, that was uh, the subject of the conference, uh, the, this morning conference. Um, and you talked about uh, new aircrafts, new architecture. Um, what could uh, these new aircraft look like? Basically, we have two families. Uh, first of all, vertical flight uh, with multi-rotors machines, uh, where we can have uh, an amount of unlimited, I, I should say, uh, e-propellers. Uh, for purely vertical flight at low speed, low distance, low range. On the other side, we may have fixed wing applications where we can uh, imagine some aircraft having instead of two or four, maybe sometimes uh, as for example the A400 AM, four propellers, we can have potentially eight, ten propellers with this new kind of, of architectures. Great. And um what um, what uh, what context in how context uh, we are? What makes uh, this emergence uh, of new type of propulsion possible today? Basically, we have uh, market needs, social expectation, market needs for, uh, for example, overcrowded cities in the world, uh, Eastern country, uh, United States, uh, where we want. To, uh, to address uh, uh, flights very short time, short distance, without being, uh, uh, I would say, shocked by the, the, uh, the, the crowded um, roads. So this is for urban air mobility, for example. We'll speak about that later. Um, we, we can have um, uh, missions uh, for logistics, for example, which are fundamental. And for that, we may have the same kind of architectures. Um, now, when we uh, speak about 
social expectation. We all know about the warming effect, global warming effect we have to face, and this kind of hybrid systems could avoid part of the CO2 which is rejected by our con conventional propulsion system. So this is the needs. Now, as far as enablers are, are concerned, we have technology within the Safran group uh, from the sources up to the propulsion, uh, which is now available with clear roadmap addressing all these uh, uh, re requests. So I think we are ready now to propose such kind of solutions. Yes, um, what, what you say that uh, the needs and uh, the technologies are, are ready uh, and uh, make uh, the emergence possible today to that kind of, uh, of a propulsive. You also mentioned uh, the, um, the role of the officials. Absolutely. We, we strongly need the support from uh, officials from, from the domestic and, uh, and uh, European uh, 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 governments for helping this process to be, to be a reality uh, within the next years. So this is something we, we work with the GGAC, with Clean Sky, for addressing such such kind of opportunity, uh, technology speaking, and having in mind this CO2 constraint to be addressed. Yes. Yes, and about uh, officials, we've seen a lot of them uh, here on the booth in the beginning of the Paris Air Show. That's uh, that's impressive. And very good news. Yes, very good news. Um, about uh, the source of energy, um, can you? Can you tell, tell us some more about that? Yeah, we, we may have uh, a pure electrical uh, solutions for very short range, short duration, approximately uh, 30 nautic miles, uh, less than 30 minutes of flight, and this, there is a market for that, for sure. Now we have to consider hybrid solutions for longer ranges, uh, for fixed wing applications that require a much, a much more power, uh, installed power. Uh, so this is to be addressed with gas turbine, for sure, but also with the battery and the storage system. There is another option which is very attractive in terms of density, uh, uh, that is a fuel cell with many options associated with. Okay, about, uh, about fuel cell, um, Eric, I think you have some, uh, some, uh, something to tell us about and uh, some precision mm -hmm. to come yeah. on. Uh, what is this about and why are we talking about fuel cells actually? Uh, you know, uh, among the various sources that uh, Pascal described right before, they rely more or less to a certain uh, amount of uh, conventional fuel or biofuels. In each and any of these cases, part of this has an environmental footprint in terms of the carbon dioxide, nitrogen oxide and so on. And, and the roadmap is for these conventional sources of energy to reduce for sure this footprint up to a certain limit. But as long as you are going to use a certain amount of uh, fossil fuels, you will still have an impact, an environmental impact. So why is the fuel cell entering the game today? The fuel cell could be seen as some ultimate way to have absolutely zero environmental footprint in terms of use. Why? What is a fuel cell? Basically, it's just the opposite of the experience all of you made in your, in your college years. While with water, you just created hydrogen on the one hand side and oxygen on the other one, just using electric current. Here, it's just the other way around. By using hydrogen and molecular hydrogen and molecular oxygen and combining it inside the fuel cell, you will generate electricity plus water plus 
some heat for sure because the, some part of the energy results in heat. So electricity is what you need. Water is not a waste. It's not a problem for in terms of environmental footprint. Heat has to be managed. So that's the reason why it can be really an, a complementary source or an alternative to more conventional uh, power sources. Uh, you, there are some enablers to do so. Uh, it's about hydrogen storage technology, for sure, because hydrogen is a very light gas. So either you store it under very high pressure in vessels, and this has to be properly managed in terms of safety, or you store it in liquid phase, but it has to be subcooled. So it's another technology. That's the first enabler. The second one is the technology itself inside the uh, fuel cell stack with some membranes and things like this. This is part of it. And the third enabler is the management of the heat created, especially if you want to deliver uh, very high electric output with very high power uh, fuel cells, you will generate more heat. So thermal management is also the third technology that you have to manage in order to, to combine all these technologies inside a stack that is manageable. It means that can be embarked on an aircraft. And this is for sure making a lot of difference between the current uses or use cases we know for the fuel cells in terrestrial transport or, or things like this and aerial transportation means. That's, that's where the gap is. You have an example on the pod there of what a fuel cell looks like for a 20 kilowatt uh, electrical power output. That's a huge innovation. That's a big one. Great. Thank you for your explanation. Um, to conclude, uh, Pascal, can, can you uh, explain us the mission um, of the, these uh, new aircraft, this new propulsion? Yeah, we already mentioned one of them uh, for on-demand mobility, uh, urban air mobility, urban air taxi, for small machines, small VTOL, potentially e-VTOL and hybrid VTOLs. We have logistic applications for transporting uh, uh, goods and maybe not people uh, with some EMS missions associated with. Then we have military applications uh, and we have the, the world of fixed wing for commuter uh, and regional applications uh, in, some, in some decades, I would say. Great. Thank you very much. Maybe just one comment. Yeah, Among the various choices that uh, Pascal explained, the, the debate is not which one to pick. The, the debate is much more how to combine some of them on board in the most, in the smartest way, I would say, because you, uh, if you analyze uh, the mission profile of an aircraft or a VTOL vehicle or a stall or a helicopter, you will, you will consider that in, uh, uh, among the various phases of the flight, you don't have the same need for uh, propulsive power or non-propulsive power. And sometimes you will not just rely on a single source of power to accomplish the full spectrum of the mission. So very often, and I would say uh, where the technology is, is not just in the various type of sources, but the way to accommodate all these on board, combine them and manage the power distribution between these various sources to make the, the best of each of, the, of these sources uh, for the, the relevant phase of the mission. And that's where it's a system approach. It's not just a, a technology and component approach at, a high, at low level, I would say. Yes, uh, it's very important. We talked about that uh, this morning uh, with uh, with Jan Pfefferman about uh, the new architecture because uh, every there are lots of possibilities. Uh, with the you, you have to take 
a need and to find the best solution. That's right. Thank you. Um, uh, we, we can take some questions if you want, if you have some. Um, we all know that, uh, that uh, electrical um, uh, yeah. that electrical uh, engines are 93% efficient, something like that. But with hybrid, you have the uh, gas turbine engine, and you have a generator, and you have the electrical cabling, and things like that. So how do you manage the efficiency of these additional components? And, and how, how efficient are they right now? I mean, uh, if you have a gas turbine that normally acts as a gas turbine to uh, produce thrust, but now has to produce power for a generator, that's probably not so efficient. Well, um, efficiency is re will remain uh, uh, the most important thing, I think, for, for many reasons. Cost and, and, and uh, social acceptability, global warming, we said, etc. You're right, when we combine a turbo generator or a gas turbine generator, distribution, uh, electrical motor, we have accumulated many efficiencies and in the, in the, in the breakdown we, we, we may have a loss at the end compared to a conventional uh, uh, architecture. But what we have to understand is that at aircraft level, there is a global efficiency thanks to these new propulsion architectures that allow to reduce globally, uh, for example, the drag of the, of the, of the aircraft, uh, for example, to improve the, the global weight of the aircraft. So at the end, we have to think system. Two points, aircraft, aircraft architecture and system. And second point, just mentioned by Eric previously, system optimization and power management. Depending, depending on, 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 on the mission, depending on, on, the, on where you're flying and with how much uh, payload you have, you will adapt the amount of energy coming from either the battery, for example, or the gas turbine. In some cases, you will fly with pure electrical system. So that means that you will have no CO2 rejection and no efficiency loss due to the gas turbine. You know? So it's always system optimization at, syst at propulsion system level and at aircraft level. Uh, just a comment. In hybrid systems, using a gas turbine to actuate an electric generator, for instance, the beauty of the thing when you compare to a pure gas turbine is that very often when you have to design a gas turbine for a helicopter, for instance, you have to design it for the maximum power at takeoff. This specific high power, you will use it during 1% of the mission, no more. And as it is the design point, it is where your efficiency will be optimum. And the rest of the mission, you will have to trim down the engine down to 40%, 50%, something like this, just for the cruise phase. And as you are very far from the design point, you are really off design, your efficiency drops dramatically. If you change the system conceptually with a gas turbine actuating an electric generator, you can decide to operate the gas turbine at steady state, irrespective of the phase, very close to the design point, maximum efficiency of the gas turbine part, and you generate the electric power, and you, re you will have to, to trim or regulate the system downstream, not upstream with the gas generator. So that's a way to make the most of the potential efficiency of the gas turbine side without, uh, without penalty at the end of the day uh, along the mission. That's this kind of optimization that uh, provided that you have uh, a way sometimes to uh, bring additional power for peak 
because for sure during the cruise you will have to reduce so that's the system aspect maybe you will design the nominal system not for takeoff but just for the cruise and provide an additional source to be used during one percent of the mission for the peak power that you will will be needed for takeoff or uh, for a mission abort or things like this so you you, you have uh, for the peak power you have your batteries which you uh, uh, um, carry around for the rest of the mission so that's also off peak Yes, you, are, you may carry uh, additional weight just for this part of the mission, but batteries also, you can reload them during the cruise phase. So just not lost power because uh, at any time, you, you, just, you don't just need the maximum power for takeoff. For the safety reasons, should something happen, some kind of failure of the main propulsive system at any time of the mission, you will have to, to, to require some additional power provided by a separate source to be fail-safe, and in that case, if your batteries have been reloaded during the flight, they are available at least to accompany an auto-rotation uh, soft landing or something like this on a helicopter. So there, and this is a system aspect. This is not a technological aspect. Some other questions? Yes, great. So you talked about um, using fuel cells with, with pure hydrogen, pure oxygen, safety aspects aside, how do you foresee the production of those two gases as, a, as an environmentally safe process? Very good question. For oxygen, uh, as long as we are flying in the atmosphere, it's for free. So the question is relevant for hydrogen production. For sure, the, the global cycle for the production and, the, and the, I would say the environmental footprint uh, should take into account uh, the conditions under which you, you will be producing this um, Hydrogen. It's just like the biofuel, by the way. If you want to reduce the carbon footprint uh, of any transportation mean through a certain amount of biofuel, but the way to produce this biofuel, for instance, had adverse effects on the agriculture uh, and so on, you have to balance it all, to, uh, all together. So for sure, uh, uh, the production of hydrogen has to be looked at from a, a broader uh, standpoint of view depending, for instance, uh, for, for instance, on the excess electrical power that you may have during certain phases in, the, in uh, human activities in the, during the nights, for instance. If you have constant power through uh, nuclear power plant or things like this, part of this electricity not needed during the night could be used to produce uh, the, the hydrogen without having a, an environmental footprint. That, so that has to be looked at clearly uh, with a, a broader view. Yeah, what you say, that you have to consider the big picture from the start yes, to the beginning. I think the question from uh, the gentleman here was about the fact that the big picture is not just the picture for the use yeah. uh, or the aerospace uh, usage and things like this. It's, it has to be considered uh, to create at, at a, as, a world, as okay. a world. Great. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Um, a last question, maybe? Yeah. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for your insightful... Uh, presentation um, just when you when realistically would you be looking at production wise I mean how many years are we talking about within uh, you mean the, the time to market yes. of this application yes. uh, so uh, Pascal for the for the, the broad view I will yeah. I will give a comment on the fuel cell technology afterwards yeah. we we deem that for VTOLs machines 2025 would be an average uh, a milestones I would say for, for having in mind uh, such opportunity we have mentioned on the on-demand mobility. 
uh, for fixed string application, that would be roughly 2030, 2035, uh, depending on the progress we are, we are doing with, uh, with all the aircraft manufacturer currently. That's something which seems achievable. Okay. And this is within the clean skies aim of um, having clean things within the next... Yeah, this is consistent globally with the, the roadmap and the timeline of the Clean Sky Initiative. For, for the fuel cell, for instance, inside Safran, the portfolio of Safran in terms of fuel cells comprises many technologies of fuel cells because there are variants in these technologies. Low temperature fuel cells, high temperature fuel cells, and so on. So it's all about the capabilities of these fuel cells and their time to market. For instance, the uh, low temperature uh, fuel cell uh, is a quite mature one in terms of industrial usage. For instance, it's something that is already in use for terrestrial transportation in, uh, in buses. There are already buses deployed uh, in the countries. Uh, in France, we have some and so on that are using this technology. So it's, al it's already mature and uh, state-of-the-art for terrestrial transformation. For sure, it will require some adaptation, especially for safety of flight and all uh, reliability issues for an application uh, on board an aircraft. The target date for this, or the maturity, is probably 2025, as uh, Pascal said for the other one. But uh, this technology is limited to low power range globally. So as an add-on to an existing system, it can be envisaged quite early. The high, te high temperature uh, fuel cells is a more ambitious one. It's le much less mature today. The maturity, we expect it beyond 2030. The, the beauty of it is that it is able to deliver high output, high power. So this would be probably paving the way for uh, application that uh, could actuate an, uh, some uh, propulsion system and not just ancillary function on cross uh, aboard an aircraft like uh, environmental control systems or lighting or things like this that can be procured by the low temperature technology. So we are, once again, in terms of timeline, we have a first milestone around the 2025 and another one beyond the 2030. And back to your uh, remark, uh, both of them are part of the technological roadmap that are supported by Europe or uh, the, the, the respective countries that have developed a program to accompany the industrialists in, the, in this field. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Great, uh, thank you very much for your attention. Uh, there is a beautiful programs of conference. Uh, you can take it uh, on the desk just uh, um, behind of us. Um, I see Pascal on Thursday morning to talk about uh, start and stop, technology start, start and stop. And until then, uh, have a nice day and see you tomorrow. Bye. Thank you. Thank you very much.